Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Track by Track, a longtime article series from Consequence of Sound, the website. Now a new reoccurring feature here on the Consequence of Sound podcast. In Track by Track, we explore an album one song at a time with the artist behind it, discussing the song's origins, tales from the recording studio, every story that brought this music to life. In this episode, Consequence of Sound's Ren Graves is speaking to Natalie Prass about her new record, The Future and the Past. But before we get started, let me introduce myself. I'm the Consequence Podcast Network Director, Cap Blackard, the voice you hear every time you tune in to one of our programs. Thanks so much for checking out Consequence of Sound's podcasts. If this is your first time here, welcome! We've got a lot of music to explore, and we do it three times a week in this podcast feed with our album review podcasts. And if you're a return listener, well, hopefully you're digging our bite-sized album reviews. And we'd love to hear what you think. Let us know by rating and reviewing this show on iTunes or rating and reviewing specific episodes on Podchaser. The short shows we put out on this feed are a pretty unusual format, and we'd love to know what you love about them, what you think could improve, or how you listen to them. Reach out to us by leaving a review or hit us up via the Consequence Podcast Network Facebook page. We're an independent music outlet, and it's you fine folks that make it possible for us to keep exploring pop art. So connecting with you about how you experience our content is majorly important to us. Thanks so much for tuning in. And now I'm going to pass the baton off to Ren, speaking with Natalie Prass about her new record, The Future and the Past. This is Track by Track. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, is this Natalie? This is Natalie. Great. How are you doing today? Good. You said your name's Ray? Ren, W-R-E-N, like Ann Stimpy. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> cool. Dig it. <laughs> awesome. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, the first track is Oh My. was actually the very first song we tracked in the studio as well i think it was i thought it was just like a really good uh icebreaker for the record since uh it just kind of hits pretty hard kind of it's like a good uh thesis statement for the whole record the, the whole story of this record is you know i had a record already ready to go and then i scrapped it i wanted to like try to re- rewrite the whole thing but i was also being kind on myself very picky about songs and i'm not just going to put something on there just because you know what i mean i I wanted it to all be good so oh my uh just talking about like at the time you know i i I was writing these songs in 2016 or 2017 like after the election so i was pretty raw feeling just so many emotions and just like the news was uh pounding down on like all of us it was uh, the news was like a lot to handle and just feeling like my whole life was like changing and the country was changing and the world was changing really quickly you know what i mean i can't imagine scrapping a whole record when, when you uh, you know spend time and energy and work so hard on it can you just take me through that process a little bit like was it a difficult decision did you know instantly when you woke up after the election mm, i guess i didn't know instant i mean i wasn't really thinking about, i wasn't yeah i mean yeah okay maybe i did like 
I mean, what I do, I'm a songwriter, so what I do is, like, to process my feelings is, like, I write, you know. Um, and so I, I would go to, like, my little rehearsal space. I shared this, like, shitty rehearsal space with, like, metal dudes for a while because my apartment was so small I couldn't fit all my stuff in it. So I would go there and, like, in the morning time when there's no metal people playing and um, lie on the floor and cry and read and then write and then play piano for a little bit and then cry and, like, write all these. I was just writing a bunch of really sad music. And um, I was just thinking to myself, like, this is so important. I can't release a neutral record right now. Like, my problems are insignificant to what I'm feeling and what everybody else is feeling. Um, I need to contribute to the conversation. I need to, like, I felt like it was my responsibility to, like, try to put some, like, positive energy into the world and talk about things that were very real and I thought were really important. The only thing that was hard about it was uh, convincing my label that it was that I was with at the time that it was a good idea because they were not into it at all. It was very tense, extremely tense. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn when it comes to my music because I know best. And, like, and uh, I have people telling me all the time, like, suggestions and whatever. And, you know, um, I have to be respectful of people's suggestions. But at the end of the day, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I already was like, I already pissed my label off because I wanted to record in Richmond and be at home when I was recording. And they wanted me to be, like, in L.A. or New York with somebody that has a lot of, a big resume or something. And I just didn't think I would make my best work if I was working with a stranger because I'm already kind of like a anxious person and it takes me a while to get comfortable around new people, especially in like a artistic, creative environment. I want to make sure I'm really comfortable. Anyway, so there's that. And then on top of it, I wanted to like postpone recording so we were scheduled to record in December. And I was like, no, I want to, I think I... I need to rewrite this record. Let's record in March. And they weren't happy about that. And then they weren't happy that I wanted to write, talk about political issues. But I was like, I'm doing it anyway. They they thought it was just like a phase. They were like, are you sure this isn't a phase? I'm like, no, I guarantee you that this is not a phase. So I'm really, I'm really happy I followed through with it. And I, I'm really happy that uh, it, it was, it was hard, but it was, um, I felt like it was what I had to do. It made me feel like, I love making music. It's my favorite thing in the world, but sometimes I struggle with all that comes with being an artist. And I feel like um, <laughs> I should just like work in public service because like, that's all I want to do is help people. You know, I, that's like what I felt like was my duty at the time. And then the way I was like, well, if I write music that I feel like can help people because music help, I have to like check myself constantly. I'm always like, well, music helps me every single day. So helping people like I can maybe you know put some positive energy into the world you know anyway that's where I was getting at That was already going to be on the the other record, and that one I wrote 
the music for a short film called Odorum No that was written by um, Teddy Blanks and Alex Karpovsky. And they asked me to write the music for it. And um, I wrote like, I don't know, maybe five or six tunes for that little short film. And that was the opening track, the montage, without lyrics or anything. But then when the, the short film came out, people were uh, hitting me up like, where do I get that song? I need that song. And so I was thinking like, oh, I should just write lyrics to this and make this an actual, like a song I could put on my record because it was a lot of fun to write. And um, like the music just felt really good. Do you mostly start with the music first? Or do you sometimes start with the words first? Or Yeah, I rarely start with lyrics first, actually. I um, These days, usually um, melody and chords pop into my head pretty simultaneously. Um, and then from there, sometimes, like, sometimes I'll have, like, a little phrase in my, like, like sometimes, like, the lyric chords and melody will pop into my head all at once. And then I build it around there. Usually, like, I'm feeling something, like, I want to write about this. Usually, I have, like, an idea of what I want to talk about. And if I'm lucky, things will kind of all pop in my head at once. But typically, it's, like, a melody and chords come to me, like, pretty effortlessly. And then I start building around, building from there. Usually, like, when I co-write, I have people help me put, fill in lyrics or just, like, kind of put my thoughts together, help me put my thoughts together. Usually, like, the chords and the melody are what uh, I feel most confident about. So next up is the interlude. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I didn't intend for that to be split up, but um, everybody was like, the fire should be a single. I'm like, great. And they're like, but we need to cut off that. We need to split up that intro and make it a separate track. And I was like, no. <laughs> but um, I, I get it. I, I guess it was like, it was intended to be all one piece, but it's, it's kind of cool. Like a lot of my favorite records have interludes. So I was like, okay, okay, I can. I'll, I'll split it up. So you said a lot of your favorite albums have interludes. When do you like to hear them, and, and what do you think they can accomplish? Mm. Well, I love, like, the most, like, this new, the, you know, the new Solange record. is. There's so many interludes. Yeah. And it helps uh, tell the story, you know, just deepen um, the message of the music, if, you know, if you choose to use your interludes in that way, and which she did. Um, it just made the music that much more potent when you hear people telling their stories or, you know, and Janet Jackson has so many interludes on her records and huge fan of her. So I I love like the classic nineties, like the phone call (laughs) interlude. (laughs) That's on like so many records. So good. Next up is The Fire. Then when I wrote in, I started, you know, I, in Nashville with 
my buddy, Mickey Echo. We wrote that a long time ago, and then I couldn't remember how it went. I remembered, like, like bits and phrases from it. So it was kind of fun. Like, I just went from, like, memory, and I just kind of rewrote the whole thing. But there's bits and pieces that line up with the old version of that um, Mickey Echo and I wrote. But most of it is just, like, this new version of a song I was just kind of... <laughs> I'm really bad with, like, uh, technology, and I don't... So I... When, like, a computer dies, I'm like, well, that died. <laughs> like, I need to get better about it. But, like, that song was, like, on an old laptop that died. And it was kind of fun. Like, I remember, like, Into the Fire being a lyric. And it, anyway, but that one, uh, more of a relationship one, um, that one was also going to be on the the previous record. It's, it's about half and half of new and old stuff. But um, I thought it was a good story of like feeling like in between like knowing you need to like get out of something but feeling stuck at the same time because the whole like the future in the past like it's like feeling stuck in between feeling like very much in the present like knowing like what has happened that has led you here but how is what's going to happen in the future just a lot of just feeling uh painfully in the present So next is Hot for the Mountain, is that right? Yeah, that one. That's a protest, a political song, just um, for, like, you know, staying focused. You might feel like you're the only one, but you're not, you know, in your community. Hot for the Mountain, like, it's not going to be an easy way, but just stay positive. Kind of just like you're not alone. Do you feel much differently now than you did in November of 2016? No, I mean, I feel more, I don't know, a lot of it's like, I feel really like numb to a lot of stuff now. I feel like not as a, like I used to just be like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Oh my God, you know, or, yeah, and uh, now I'm just like, I don't know what to believe anymore. There's just so much constantly. I'm just trying to like focus on like the big picture now, doing what I know I can do like making sure I always vote, you know, like that is like so important to me now. Like you should, it used to just like kind of like, oh, I'll vote on the big elections, but you know, and now it's like, no, I'm always going to stay up on it and be involved in my local elections, especially, which I knew was important before, but now it's like, like a priority, a very high priority. So next is Lost. That one um, goes with the whole Me Too kind of that movement. Um, it's uh, I really didn't want that song to be on the record because I just, the Me Too movement has been like really hard on me personally because it's like, 
really painful to remember things that have happened to you. But it's like, I'm so grateful for it at the same time that like now there's all this language, there's all of this support when really you just felt like you were so alone and people are like, whatever, it's normal. Just You just have to deal with it, move on, which, yeah, you have to move on. You can't live your life in pain and like that. But um, it's it's nice to know that there's brave women out there and they're telling their stories and like there's, we're all learning how to deal with it and how to behave and and how to treat one another and throughout this whole process it's been really painful for all of us but I'm I'm grateful for that but I think in the end I realized that song was empowering and it's probably good for me to tell like my story in some way and since I'm a songwriter it's like that's how I do it I'm not really much of a um I'm like a pretty private person but I I um I think it's important to have solidarity with people that have had experiences like myself. So for me personally, I was like, well, I don't want to give the person that it's about any kind of like ammo against me. I don't want to even give them any acknowledgement of like how I felt or how I feel like because that person's gone and I want them to be gone. I don't want to bring it up anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But it's like also I had to look at it like, okay, this is bigger than me. This is for everyone else kind of thing and that helps me kind of um, move past my personal fears So sisters. Mm-hmm. That was one of the first ones that I rewrote. Yeah, Matt, Matt White and I. Matt, Matt's the producer. He's been my buddy for a very long time. He's like a big brother to me. But um, he lives like a ten minute walk from my apartment, and uh, I went to Matt's house almost like every day during those couple months, at least every other day, and we spent a lot of time just talking, going out to lunch, sitting at in his kitchen drinking coffee. He has this drum machine and like he had this beat that he made on his drum machine. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm feeling right now. Let's write to this beat. And it was a very like uh, just a heavy hitting kind of drum beat. And we just I wanted it to be kind of like this uh, almost like a fight song for how I was feeling. I was feeling extremely hopeless at that time. Just being like no one wants to listen to women. People don't want women leaders women cut each other down, men cut women down. There's so many deep stereotypes. Women are pitted pitted against one another. And there's so many problems. There's so much, there's so many uh, laws that are still against us and laws that like keep families down, raise It's hard to raise a family here, I think, Um, especially for single mothers. And I just wanted to um, write a song that felt like unifying everybody and I I was like let's just stay on this like a minor chord basically that song is just like a minor and um I was listening to a lot of gospel music when the election happened because it was like the only music that was like cutting through to me and made me feel any kind of like <laughs> joyfulness it made me feel like okay I can get through this even though I'm not particularly religious it's still it was just like it was um helping me like feel better <laughs> so I 
I thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to put some of that feeling into the new music I was writing. It made me want to like take it even further into like this like heavy groove kind of place. My sister lives in Germany, so I'm like very aware of how different her life is than mine as far as like government care and or just health care in general and like family care. Um, and, uh, you know, my sister was like, yeah, if I was living in the United States, I really don't think I could afford to have kids. Maybe I would have one. Maybe I would have one. We'll see how it goes. But like, but she has two kids now. Um, and her life is, there's no fear of like losing everything. There's no fear of going into debt because of childcare or health bills. She has a lot of like things that she doesn't have to worry about anymore that I think a lot of Americans have to worry about constantly. Like her kids will have their college paid for, um, stuff like that. And um, when I think about myself, I'm like, how am I ever going to have a family? You know, realistically, I can barely like take care of myself, you know, um, financially. So it's like, I wanted to talk about that a little bit, like in the first verse. You know, you feel like just being American, there's a lot of like paycheck to paycheck. And then I want to talk about um, domestic abuse. And then I want to talk about stereotypes and um, how the system isn't really um, it's not fair for women. Um, because a lot of the times we're just treated, um, looked at as sexual beings. But I want to talk about like in the in the choruses, like we just have to like stick with one another, and like we have to realize that like when one woman is like in a leadership role that's helping all of us, and I know that it's like I know women are like taught to be pitted against one another, but we we have to stick together and help one another. Never too late. That one was really fun to write. I was having this horrible, the label that I was with before I parted ways with them after this record, uh, you know, they were like, how would you feel about going to LA and writing with some people? And I was like, sure, I'll try it. Cause I've never done anything like that before. Why not? And it was awful. I had like, oh, really? that was like the worst month of my life. I was like, these people I'm very um, compassionate because I'm just like, all right, they're just trying to get by just like me. And they have to hustle way more than I do because I live in a very cheap city and they live in LA. So it's like, of course they want to write music that could potentially like make money or something, but that's just not where my interests are. And like, I love pop music. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I pretty much only listen to pop music. But I'm very, but that word is so broad and like, I'm very picky about the kind of pop music that I like. And um, I also want it to be me and I also want it to be interesting. Anyway, like I just had a horrible time. I was miserable. I, it was making me feel like the one thing that I know how to do really well, I don't know how to do. It just made me feel like, like there people were treating me like I didn't know how to write music or something because we, there was like no we couldn't agree on anything like no I'm not 
songwriting, when you're with a stranger anyway, it's weird in a room, just the two of you, or maybe like you and two other strangers, that's already strange. So then it's like, now you have to get personal and like try to write something, you know, then you, you know, and then you're like showing like yourself in this very intimate way with strangers and that's strange. But then it's like people wanting to like change melodies. Like, I mean, like some comments I got were like, well, now it sounds like we're just writing a song. I'm like, well, isn't that what we're doing? But this person wanted to write this like anthemic, like pop ballad. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know? where I'm coming from people just, I felt like I was very um, misunderstood out there. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable because uh, I like to experiment when I'm songwriting. I like to just kind of take risks. That's why I work with people um, that I trust because it's like, because I'm not this overly, like if I walk into the room, I'm not this like overly confident person that will like take over the energy. I like find out where I sit in the room. And if I'm not comfortable with people that I can't do my best work, you know what I mean? So anyway, I don't. It was just too LA for me. I'm I'm too much of like a small town person. I think. But my publisher, who I've been working with since I was like 23 years old, was like, "Hey, Nat. Like, there's this guy out there, Steve Lindsay. He's like this old LA scene kind of guy. I feel like you might like him because he knew I was struggling. I was just like, I want to go home. This sucks. He's like, you should just try to like write a song with him. I was like, all right, whatever. I trust you. I'll go out there. And like, he's this totally like old LA session dude used to play with like Toto back in the day kind of vibe and like he knew exactly where I was coming from because I'm like super into like the world that he grew up in and I knew all the people he was talking about and like he knew where I was coming from musically and it was just like this bright light in the middle of like you know this like terrible experience I was having out there and um so I was just having fun, like relaxing and like, yeah, let's, let's write this totally like glitzy, shiny, steely Dan kind of song. Like, mm. let's just go for it. And, you know, I, I think at the time I was just thinking like, it's, it's like never too late to like forgive somebody and just like feel compassion for somebody is where I was coming from. And we just kind of ran with that idea and turned it into like this story. It, but that, that one was just like super, I just had so much fun writing that song with like these like old, I'm like, of course, like the people that I don't relate to like the people my age or like younger than me, like writing this, you know, music, of course I relate to like the 70 and up people. <laughs> like, that's so me. <laughs> like, yeah, when we just wrote that song super fast, like I had, I had the melody already for the song, and like I had like the chorus, like too late, like it's like too, it's like it's too late or it's never too late, or, and then um, we just like they helped me like tighten up all the loose ends, but I had like a pretty solid idea of what I wanted to do already, and it, it was just like a, that was just like a lot of fun that whole experience. Sweet lights twinkling below me And it is crazy Oh, it is crazy, it's crazy Oh, it is crazy to see a ship go
ship go down? Yeah, that was a new one. And um, that was another one. Like uh, Matt had that drum machine and I just started singing the verse melody. And then we started building the chords off of that verse melody. I always knew, like, of course, like no place is perfect. And I always knew America had a ton of problems. And like, but I at least felt like we were moving in the right direction. You know, I thought, you know, like, like there's no way, like there's more people that will not vote for this person. Like we're in the clear. And then just like the whole shock of feeling like, whoa, I don't know where I live anymore. I really don't. I thought I was so naive. I did not see that coming. I knew it was like going to be close, but I didn't know you know I thought we were fine I remember just like looking around like going out in Richmond and Richmond's very progressive but being like oh who did they vote for who did they vote for oh my god and like this whole like not feeling like I knew where I lived anymore and just feeling like are we going downhill are we is this country like where are we going right now it feels like we're just like thinking further into we're just like shooting ourselves in the foot that's probably the darkest one on the right. That's definitely the darkest one. <laughs> I was trying to make sure I keep things like uh, energized and, um, but that one, uh, I really love like psychedelic, like um, kind of like Tropicalia music. So that one, um, and like the Tropicalia music is super political. A huge, that was like a huge political movement. So I was definitely like taking inspiration from how they express their political views more so than the other song. Brazilian music like has all of my favorite elements, has like the most beautiful melody and harmony ever. It's groovy. Um it takes a lot from like jazz world, um and like pop like R and B and then um, you know, American blues kind of R and B. And then um and then it also just has like the most potent lyrics are like really meaningful and thought-provoking and like poetic and usually are talking about politics in Brazil at the time and and then it's like so easy to listen to well I think it is I think it's like really interesting and you always hear something new but it's also like so beautiful and effortless and she's like how do they do this they pack so much into a production and it feels so like timeless and classic to me it's like really romantic but then also really groovy just like the best blend of music elements, I think. No words can heal the heart when the heart has been slain. is uh, nothing to say yeah that one that's also an old song i've had that one for a long time and i've always wanted to record that one and then i thought this the time was right now because when we were we wrote that song back in the day um we were talking about politics basically just like feeling like the news there's so many talking heads and uh, but we're all the same kind of thing everybody's the, the same i'm like there's so much like tragedy happening, but that's, I don't know. That's basically what we were getting at with that song in a very broad, broad way. <laughs> but I always, I always loved that song and um, it's so simple, 
I don't know. I think it's like I think it's like a t- it's telling if like all these years have passed and you still like are like, well, but that one song is so good still. Like, I feel like I should do something with that one. That's why I brought that one back. That one was funny when we were recording it in the studio because Matt was like, I don't know what to do with this song. Um, and I was like, I got it. I got it. I got it. And <laughs> and then Matt just basically cleaned up the huge mess that I made. <laughs> Well, like with Devon, like just being like, all right, Devon, I need you to like do this and this and this. And then we're going to record this like marble jump bouncing on the floor and then we're going to sample it. And then, <laughs> you know, and like, and then we're going to have this bell sound. And then, <laughs> and then Matt was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I listen to the radio. Hold my breath to hear you sing Far away and so long ago But without you I lose the beat Far From You. That one's written about Karen Carpenter. It's just like a tribute to her. I've always loved her. I've always like thought She's just like a beautiful soul and kind person. And um, and I just uh, have a lot of love for her because she's also really, she's very misunderstood and people only think about her with how she died. And, but she's like so much more than that. And um, she was, you know, from a time in the industry when like women don't play drums and women don't do this. Women are up front and you sing and, the fact is like she didn't have a choice like she like her label and everybody pushed her out from the kit like I think you should be able to do whatever you want to do musically but like she didn't once she was like pushed out from the kit to be up front then all like the body shaming started and then it got to her head and like she felt like she didn't have any control over like her career and like what she was doing musically um and the one thing she could control was like her her diet always like in a competition like with her family her her family favored her brother kind of thing I just feel and you can just hear how kind she is and um how much she just loves singing and gets a joy out of out of music in her voice and um I just think she's a really beautiful person so I wanted to write a tribute to her That one, um, that was just like a trying to bring joy into um, a harsh reality. You have to keep moving and stay energized. And we weren't intending it originally to be such like an upbeat tune. We were thinking it would be a little more subdued, um, kind of almost like piano, mid-tempo groove kind of thing. But then once we got in the studio, I was like, this isn't what I need right now. This is, I was like, we got to pick this up. And like I had to like go in the live room. That one was like that one took a long time for us to like figure out where that song was supposed to sit. But it got there, and I think it's I'm pretty proud of how it, it turned out. Um, that one definitely transformed while we were tracking it. Took a whole new whole new life. But that's what's so fun about 
creating and putting a production together because if you have like a like a pretty solid song you can kind of mold it to be whatever you want it to be and I thought it would be a good way to end the record because you gotta end on a a high note the process with recording it's like everybody would sit in the control room and we would play you know these like work tapes of the songs like just their skeleton and we would talk like like Matt and I are like way over prepared overthink a lot of stuff like everybody had like the songs already in their center dropbox of what we were going to record but then they also got like reference tracks for each song and like I sent very specific like I want you to have this kind of snare sound for this one blah 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 like very specific list of what we were looking for but that like that one like a couple of them it was like let's see how like let's go in this direction and then they would get into the the live room and they would just start jamming a little bit knowing like the chords and just getting a feel for how the song goes and like I said ain't nobody was supposed to be in my head and Matt's had like this kind of mid-tempo jam like a, a groovy kind of thing so that's like a taste of like what the song was going to be like at the end but we decided to be a cool way to like attach it onto what the song ended up being does that make sense yeah what were your goals for the musicality of the new album? Um, I was getting more into the idea of like a a still like an orchestrated band kind of vibe. Um, like how Steely Dan and like Chic are so orchestrated with what each band member is doing, and every, everybody kind of fits into the song where they need to fit in, and it sounds so much bigger than actually what's going on you know in the you know what I mean yes. so it's like it creates like um, a groove but it's only like four people playing so I was already getting into that kind of world like like always like Bird of Prey was that's like a lot of fun to play live because it's like the grooviest song on the, the old record so I was like I want to I need to get into that world A because I love that world like that's the kind of music that I listened to, grew up on, have studied. Like it's what like really important to me. So it's like, okay, I, I want to go in a more upbeat direction, whatever that means. That's so broad. So I didn't quite know what that that meant, but um, that's just the kind of stuff that I was writing and envisioned for the next project. But it's also just like. I'm so experimental as a songwriter and taking risks. I don't believe in like putting yourself in a box. I think that's so boring. Um, I always get a little confused when like, I've always been this way. I mean, I've been writing songs since I was like in first grade. So it's like, I always get a little jealous of like writers. I'm like, wow, you can just write the same song over and over again. And you're like totally cool with that. And that's great. And like, and everybody loves it. And like, fucking awesome and it but I've just never been that kind of person as an artist I'm always like changing and evolving and like I really love an artist like Beck where he takes like just so many risks at every turn I think that's like really exciting and and like David Byrne and stuff and um, 
Um, and there's so many other artists that, that do that, but that's always the kind of path I've always seen for myself. It's just like my wardrobe changes like every year. Like I'm like a, I'm definitely like one of those people, like I purge everything and then I get new stuff and like, I rearrange my apartment like all the time. It's like, I just love keeping things fresh. It keeps me inspired. Keeps me feeling like I I don't ever want to stop growing and challenging myself. Thanks so much for listening to Track by Track. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review this series, Consequence of Sound, on iTunes or Podchaser. Or hey, share it with a friend or on social media. It helps make sure we can keep dishing out our music journalism in audio form. You can also follow Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network on Facebook, and we've got a whole roster of awesome music, movie, and television podcasts. Head to consequenceofsound.net to explore all of our series. 